0: Welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. This is your host, Auntie Vice, and I'm thrilled to be here today. Today is another episode where I respond to readers who've written in. I was planning on doing these quarterly, but I got some good questions and I figured they deserved a a solid response and more than just I could shoot over in a quick email. So the first question that came in was from a listener who felt that I should remove the episode with Boss Boar because he has been accused of consent violations and possible sexual assault in the community and felt that by removing it, it would be a way of holding him responsible. This is not the first time I've gotten a request to remove an episode. Most of the time, the requests come from turfs who want me to take down trans women, and those are easy to say no to because that's just bigotry. This one was a little more complicated. At the time I interviewed Boss Bohr, I knew of the allegations, and he had taken a step back for more than a year from teaching, to as part of his response to it. And we had an extensive conversation about the role and responsibility of folks in the community, especially those of us who teach and who lead groups, about what it looks like to be responsible, uh, and that that conversation has been referenced in other podcasts. So I had a couple of, of issues to deal with in deciding whether or not to take down his episode. The first is, what does responsibility look like in our community? And this is something that the kink community is really struggling with. If you are on FetLife, which is you know Facebook for kinky people with all the same flaws as Facebook, You know that you cannot badmouth a problematic space, right? If there's a dungeon, private or public, we don't have the ability to create a list of problematic spaces or problematic players on FetLife, and it relies on the individual. And I think, by and large, this is a mistake of the site. Now, I understand why the site administrators would decide this, because it's not simply that people have done something so wrong they should be booted from the community versus good players. There's a lot of gray area in this. And for me, when it comes down to, I've been asked to, to mediate some problems in spaces and at events. And for me, what it comes down to is the extent of the violation as well as how the players handle it and if it's going to put somebody in danger again. So when it comes, if there's sexual assault or rape, that is a much more clear example. I believe those should be reported, that authorities should be involved if the person who's been assaulted feels that that is the right approach. It is your choice whether or not to go to the authorities because there's a whole complicated level of victimization that happens again when you report Sexual assault, but that that should immediately be an option, and that the person responsible for sexual or or rape should be removed from the community. I mean, those are clearly dangerous players, and that is those are major boundaries crossed. It gets a little more gray when people don't want to talk about what happened, and I understand that. I've seen a number of incidents uh, that have gone viral on FetLife and on other social media platforms where somebody felt their consent was violated. There may have been an element of sexual assault, but the person who was assaulted is very vague about it. I I fall on the side that I don't think somebody should just be able to level an accusation against someone and have a player removed from the community. We have players' remorse, which is where you've engaged in some type of play with somebody and then feel bad about it for reasons other than assault and consent violations. And people accuse somebody of being a bad player, playing in bad faith, want them removed. But that's more something to be dealt with one to one. So I do think it's okay to ask people who are leveling these accusations what happened and need them to be a bit forthcoming before people can make decisions. The more events we have and the more events producers I've talked to, the more people are reporting that they're getting messaging that so-and-so is a problem, so-and-so has done consent violations, so-and-so is a bad player, please block them from your event. Now, event organizers and dungeon monitors and dungeon masters are not your best friends. We are not there to make you feel better about a decision that you regret. We are not there to side with you against your ex. Right? We're there to keep the community safe, and so we need to know what happened. We need. We have some questions, and I think there are reasonable questions to be asked whenever any uh, anything is leveled against a player, either consent violation, assault, or rape. So that that's the first level. When it comes to consent violations, those get very complicated because there can be accidental consent violations, such as you've both agreed to no marks. The person that is topping doesn't realize the level of uh, impact you can take or play you can take before you bruise and they accidentally bruise you. And so that would be an accidental consent violation. And those happen. There can be unknown triggers um, when you're playing with somebody. We don't all know what our boundaries are. We don't know what, what all of our triggers are. I've been playing for over three decades and I still figure out new stuff when I play. So there can also be a really bad scene, something you can go left because one of the players didn't understand what a trigger or boundary was. And then that would depend on how they handle it right? This is why a lot of educators encourage you to have multiple aftercare plans, one for when everything goes well, and one if something goes awry, because the longer you play, the bigger chance there is that something goes awry, right? And then there can be deliberate consent violations. For example, you Know your partner doesn't like a certain type of toy, and once you get them tied up, you use that toy on them, even though you've agreed prior that that was off-limit. Those are more dangerous players, and I think in those instances, people can come back with education, with people taking steps to let them know why this is a problem and giving them the tools they need to play safely, I think after a certain period of time, people can come back. So I don't think there needs to be a permanent ban on everyone who has purposely violated consent. Right? And consent has gotten much more complicated than when I started playing. Right Now we have huge consent agreement forms. We have lots of different versions of consent. And what it comes down to for me is you were responsible for knowing what you're agreeing to. You were responsible for understanding your limits and boundaries and communicating them. And you were responsible for communicating during play. And this is for people on all sides of the slash and all types of play with an understanding that. There will be things that come up that you may not know how you're going to react to or your partner will react to, that there are minefields and boundaries, and that you need to have a plan on how to deal with those afterwards. And sometimes it's not going to go well, and you need to conduct yourself in an adult manner, which includes not just blowing up all over social media about how horrible this person is without talking to them directly. So, It gets, there's a lot of gray area. So when I organize events, when I organize munches, or if I'm a dungeon monitor, I take a lot of these things into consideration. When it comes to people I have on the podcast, I want to talk to them about specific things. Things may happen after they're on the show or before they're on the show that I am unaware of. There's a lot that goes on in the community. I do try to vet my guests fairly heavily and do a pretty deep dive before I interview them, which is why I can ask them a lot of questions that they probably haven't been asked before. And with Boss Bohr, I did know that he had these problematic behaviors and he had taken steps to address them, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show. The second question for me in taking down an episode is will that increase their accountability? Because for bad players, because for people who have done things that have hurt members of our community, we need to hold them accountable. They can't just say, well, I went to this class and now I'm all okay, right? Part of accountability means acknowledging what you've done and working to do better consistently, and in some cases making amends with the people that you've hurt. So it has to involve all three things. So when it came to taking down the episode, I had asked myself, would it increase his accountability? And because I specifically asked him on the show to speak about accountability and his experience in this, I didn't feel that would increase his personal accountability in the in the situation. Uh, Is it just taking down an episode of somebody who's known to be a bad player? You know, if we hadn't had the conversation and he hadn't talked about ways he's committed to improving to be a better player, um, I would take it down. However, because he has acknowledged that these are problematic behaviors and what he's doing to do better, I think leaving it up leaves a record of what he said he wants to be accountable for, and if he continues to violate what he said he wants to be accountable for, then we have a record of it, and then there becomes a greater argument for removing him from teaching positions and from play uh, in certain spaces to keep people safe. So I fell on the side of leaving the episode up, But I did want to explain to the listener who wrote in why I did this, because it wasn't just a a quick decision for me. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this. And it triggered a conversation I wanted to have for a while, which is, how do we hold people responsible in our communities? Because again, there's been a number of problems that have arisen recently, uh, where there's questions about how to hold both organizations and individuals responsible for problematic behavior for example recently imsel was accused of racism or sorry, not imsel um bikes on bikes and so they've engaged in a series of classes and said they're vowing to do better okay so some classes are actually helpful right i hope mine are to the people who come through mine i am not always sure classes on holding an agency accountable always work, right? There's a lot of people who offer accountability classes that don't have a deep understanding of psychology and structures and systems theory on how to hold things accountable. There are some. I am a fan of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. They will come in either before something happens or after, and help an organization or a play space develop policies that make it safer for everybody and develop policies around accountability for players. And they're available at ncsfreedom.org, and Susan will, or one of her representatives will go out and teach a class on it, and it's a fairly effective class. I've reviewed the material, I've seen how they've worked with other organizations, and I think it's important that they're the ones in our community to do it, because they understand kink. They were developed to address the kink community, and we have some unique situations in it. So I think who holds you accountable and what that looks like is going to be one thing. I also don't think every space is going to be safe for every person. I don't think you can be. I'm dealing with that here in Grass Valley. We have a dike night that I host, and we do it at a local bar on the main drag. And when I chose this with my my co-host, we wanted something that was outdoor uh, and offered good outdoor seating, partly because we have members of our community who are still very concerned about COVID and are not comfortable going into spaces. We needed something that offered alcohol and non-alcoholic options because not everybody in our community drinks. This bar additionally set up seating outside of the bar area for people who wanted to stay away from alcohol, and not have it as a trigger. We needed a place with food, and that food had to have vegetarian options at a minimum and gluten-free options at a minimum, as well as other types of food. And we needed some place that was centralized so that people without personal transportation could get there. So we chose a bar on the Main Strip, and it's worked really well, and we've had a great turnout. At the last event, uh, a couple of the male patrons inside made some disparaging marks about man-haters and just some stupid stuff, a pushback, and some of our members were uncomfortable, and it raised the question, well, do we want to continue to go here? Additionally, as it gets colder, because I'm up in the Sierras, we're going to need a space indoors. And we have several members of our community who are not comfortable with northwest indoor spaces. So what I did with my co-host is invite in the folks who had a problem with the space to talk about it. And we've been on an extended text chat about what different people need to feel safe in those spaces and what different needs are in our community and what places might be an option. And what we landed on is I'm going to go back to the bar and talk to the manager about what had occurred, uh, what could possibly make some of our members feel more comfortable. But the reality is finding a space indoors where people who are highly of uh, av- risk avoidant for COVID are just not going to be comfortable in our downtown area. We don't have anything large enough for really high ceilings and great ventilation the only venue any of us could come up with in town is way back in the hills where there's no public transportation to it and there's no way to escape being around alcohol. So other members of our community aren't as comfortable. So we're weighing what's more important and and do we split this so that folks who don't want to be around alcohol and don't have transportation have something they can go to, as well as folks who are COVID adverse. So there's lots of options and it's fairly complex on who we're going to invite in because either choice for our venue options is going to leave somebody out, right? So it's weighing what is going to be the best for the most people in our community. And this, I had to bring in an extended group of people to invite them in to discuss it. So I think this is something that we have to keep in mind because there are spaces that I don't feel comfortable in. For example, I have lung issues thanks to my scleroderma, which means any place where they do a lot of smoking indoors, which are like cigar nights, which are very popular and I used to enjoy, I'm not going to be able to enjoy those spaces because it's just not accessible to me. I also don't complain about it because I recognize that that's a limitation, and there's lots of people who do enjoy cigar nights, and just because I can no longer participate like I used to doesn't mean they have to change their entire event for me. So I think there's a balance we have to strike here with with. How we hold spaces accountable, I do think when it comes to issues around disability writ large and when it comes to things like including fat folks and including um, people of different ages, we do need to keep that in mind and try to keep things accessible. And this includes, like, when you plan your events, is there seating where somebody over 300 pounds can comfortably sit? Right? Uh, and, And navigate the space. Can they make it through the aisles comfortably? And those should be considered, and we should include seating for larger body folks. We need to make sure people who use mobility devices, whether it be a cane or a walker or a wheelchair, can get in and out of spaces. If you have to carry a wheelchair up or down stairs, it's not accessible. So we need to make sure those are accessible. We need to make sure that people who are hard of hearing can enjoy an event, right? There are a lot of events who really try to bring in sign language interpreters, which is great, however they are expensive. It also means that you make people use a microphone. There are some folks and presenters who don't like to use a microphone, and you just need to reiterate, they don't have to ask, can everybody hear? Nobody should have to disclose their disability to be included. So you just always use a microphone. And it means that you are emotionally accessible. If somebody comes in using a mobility device or who is very large and nobody addresses them, that space is not accessible. So we have to really work on that as a community. Same with race, right? You need spaces where people are comfortable. That said, I am also okay with spaces that eliminate white folk. because we have all sorts of spaces. As a white person in kink, I can get my needs met for play spaces, for social spaces, for educational spaces, and it's not problematic. However, there are different groups of, of people who are minorities, whether it be Black or Asian or Latinx or mixed, where the white gaze is going to change their entire experience. So understanding that, I'm fine being eliminated from certain events and certain groups because it means other folks in my community are getting their needs met in a way that they cannot be met if people like me are in the space. And I think that is more than reasonable, too. So there's a lot of things we have to consider. I do think we need to create a space where we can list problematic venues and have event reporting and have people who monitor that to let folks know whether or not a space has addressed the problems or an individual has addressed the issues that have been brought up with them as a way to keep people safe. And while Thet life is not going to allow us to do that, we may need to consider other forums to do that. For those of you who are really concerned about that, you can join me. I'm with the National Coalition of Sexual Freedom on their Consent Counts group we meet every other Tuesday uh, 230 Pacific 530 Eastern on zoom to talk about consent and consent policies and all sorts of ways that they're working to further consent so I'd invite you to join us you can go to ncsfreedom.org and sign up for their consent count groups and and come join us and talk about it because it's a very complicated issue and they're one group who's really working toward making Places safer for those of us in the community. Um, that said, sometimes you can't regulate everything, so there also needs to be internal conversations with your your organization. And I'm always happy to have people reach out to me and give me a response to my thoughts. I don't think I have the right way to do everything. There's not one right way. I have a way, but not the way. So I'm always happy for people to write in and ask, and these are great things to think about. So I want to say thank you for that question um, from the person who wrote in. I'll let them know. I didn't ask if I could name them on air, so that's why I'm not doing it. The other thing that I got asked about, or good resources for submission. I recently taught the class Getting to Your Submissive Core and I've done some writing online and people have been asking me for resources. So I just wanted to put out here some great stuff that is available to people. Um, you know, I have my site, loveletters dot com. If you join as a free member, you get access to a bunch of downloadable uh, forms and everything from negotiation to journal prompts and, and you're welcome to do that. And I try to continually add to those I love submissiveguide.com. I think Luna puts together a wonderful set of resources, is very thoughtful about submission, um, and and does a lot of really good work on that. DomSubLiving.com has some fantastic resources. KinkAcademy.com has a lot of free resources, including blogs and video posts on educational stuff, as well as more behind a paywall, and they're totally worth the $20. A month paywall. Full disclosure, I have written for several of these sites. Um, I am not getting a kickback from any of them by referring you to them. But those are some of the big websites I would go to. In terms of reading, I'm a big fan of workbooks. I have mine, obviously, The 30 Days of Kinky Self-Discovery, as well as The Big Workbook for Submissive. The Princess Collie has Authentic Kink and 365 Days of Kink. Uh, I Kate Sloan, who was recently on the program, has 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, which is fantastic. And she will have another one, Coming out on um, language around gender and sexuality, which is really helpful. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I like uh, the Harrington's um, Sacred Kink: The Eightfold Path in BDSM. So check that out. Anton Fullman's Heart of Dominance, and I think it's while it addresses the dominant side of things, I do think. It gives insight into way kiki people think. Uh Janet Hardy and Dossie Eason do the topping and the bottoming books. Uh and those are fantastic and great intros. SM101 um is another another great book as a way to intro to it. And then just a reminder that every month I put out journal prompts and kinky ideas and inspirations on my newsletter. And I'll leave the link in the show notes for people to sign up for that. So those would be some of the uh different resources that are available. I'm working on rebuilding my resource list. I did something to it online and I cannot figure out why only a few of them are showing up. So I am, working on rebuilding my vetted resource list for y'all. Um, a couple other things that are coming up on September 7th. I am doing a free class on practical bondage. Not everything has to be ornate ties and macrame looking. I am into getting somebody tied up and getting down and dirty quickly. I also will be covering ties that are supportive for people who have joint or body issues and need support uh, for more satisfying sex. And that is through the sex shed.com. You can register. Just look up Auntie Vice on Eventbrite, and I'll also have the link in my show notes. All you have to do is register for access, and if you don't uh, have time to attend the live taping, you will be able to access the free video afterwards. And then finally, the Sex Shed is... Creating a channel on YouTube called Auntie's Advice, which are previous classes I've taught for them that are recorded, that are up for your watching, and that are free to access for anyone. So I will also have those links. So hopefully that gives you all some links for exploring your kink and submission. And please keep those uh, letters, keep those emails coming in. I always appreciate it. I always want to respond to my listeners and address the concerns that you have. And then I'll put in a final plug. If you are in Northern California on September 2nd from five to seven, I am doing a fatty float, um, an all-body swim up at the Nevada City pool in Nevada City from five to seven. It is Suggested $10 donation, but nobody's turned away for lack of funds. There's going to be free pizza. I also have a hot dog vendor and a snow cone vendor coming up, and there'll be a runway and a photo space. And it's for everybody who's ever felt uncomfortable going to a public pool to come out and strut your stuff and have a ton of fun. And it's supposed to be a beautiful day. We should be in the mid 70s around five o'clock. So come out and join us. And you can find that on my Auntie Vice page as well as forbiddentickets.com. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday, and I'll be back next week with another recording. Thank you.